Christmas. The most wonderful time of the year, right? Anybody else like excited for Christmas? It is, yeah, it is my absolute favorite time of the year. Now, I know I say that and we're in church. And so some of you are sitting in your seat and you're thinking, wait a second, Pastor. Are you talking about the, the, the cultural holiday? You know, with, with Santa and the elves and all the gifts and the lights and the mistletoe and all that stuff? Or are you talking about the religious holiday where we celebrate the birth of Jesus who came to bring us peace on earth? My answer? I'm talking about both of them. I'm talking about both. Listen, listen, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus, the fulfillment of the, of the promise of a Savior who came to, to, to die so we can live. Like all that is so true all about that. But when you look at the cultural holiday, the, the secular holiday, all those other things that go into it, do you realize how many messages of faith are intertwined into that cultural secular holiday? I mean, think about, think about the Christmas season. Think about the lights and the music and, and the food, all oh, the food and the decorations, and all those things, all the gatherings, do those, do those things, don't they create this sense of, of joy and wonder inside of us? I mean, that's kind of what the secular heart creates, a sense of, of joy and wonder. And isn't that a little bit the feelings that we should have as we worship God? This joy and wonder, do you see the connection here? And then we think about, then we think about the gifts, and, and we're going to get gifts for the people we love, and, and you're going to give gifts to your pastor because he's really funny and attractive and good-looking and all that other stuff, and, and, and you give gifts. Do you recognize that gifts point to the giver of gifts himself? We give gifts in honor of the one who's been the, the giver of all gifts, the giver of all good things. See, if we look at the, the cultural holiday, as Christians, there are so many messages of faith that are intertwined into the cultural holiday. Think about your favorite movies. What's your favorite? Who's got a favorite Christmas movie? Give me a favorite Christmas movie. Anybody got a favorite Christmas? What? White Christmas. What a good one. Do you know there are so many messages of faith intertwined in all these Christmas classics? Think about the movie Home Alone, all right? What does Home Alone teach you? Number one, always watch out for kids named Kevin. That is true. My mom would say amen to that. But home alone, it teaches you about the importance of family, right? Family is significant. Absolutely. There's a message of faith intertwined into that movie. What about, what about the movie The Grinch? The lesson of The Grinch? Don't be a Grinch for Christmas. That may be God's word for someone here today. Like that is God speaking to you right now, Right? No, you're supposed to love the people around you and not be grumpy with them. What about the Polar Express? I love the Polar Express. And what is, what is the message of the Polar Express? It teaches us to have faith in sometimes things what nobody else believes in, to believe. Again, if we're looking into the cultural holiday, there's so many inroads to faith. Even the movie Elf, that's a classic movie. Elf, what does Elf teach us? Elf teaches us the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. I hope you guys will do that as we sing these Christmas songs throughout this Christmas season. Again, there's so many things. What about, what about music? 
All right, think about this. What is your favorite Christmas song, cultural Christmas song? Anybody got a favorite? Favorite Christmas song? Somebody, anybody, you guys awake? Right here, Anna. I can't hear that. Yes, that's a good one. That's a good one. Do you hear what I hear? What about my, my favorite is Bruce uh, Springsteen when he sings Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Like, I love that song. Maybe for you, you're like, you're more into the, like the Jackson 5. I don't know why they're so good, but the Jackson 5, their Christmas songs are, are, are great. Maybe you are into the classic. You love to hear Bing Crosby, the crooner, singing White Christmas. And I'll just say this, the worst Christmas song of all time, the worst Christmas song of all, hands down, Santa Baby. It is the worst, it is the, it, 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 listen, listen, it is the worst song. It belongs in the trash along with fruitcake and, and, and country music. It's where it goes. It is horrible. Amen, right? But what happens when you start listening to Christmas music, what happens is whether you turn and put the Christmas music on the radio station or whether you have it on Spotify, you listen to your favorite song. Maybe you listen to Michael Buble singing uh, Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas, or maybe you listen to any of the pentatonic songs. You listen to these cultural songs, and what happens is very soon, whether it's on the radio or whether it's your Spotify playlist, you listen to that cultural Christmas song, and pretty soon you're going to hear a religious song. Pretty soon you're going to hear uh, Silent Night. You're going to hear uh, uh, Joy to the World. Because these songs are so interconnected. And that is where we can, we can not be afraid of the cultural holiday, but we can look and say, what are the inroads that we can make to the gospel and to the religious holiday? That's my point right now, is that we look at the cultural holiday, there are so many inroads for us to make into the religious holiday. And so, in fact, this Christmas, we're going to be looking at one of those stories what has we got going on here? Can we give it up for the little drummer boy? Yes, this Christmas, that is the story we're learning about today. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at the little drummer boy story which is really a song that kind of bridges that, that secular and that religious uh, holidays. And so we're going to look at this story, and I am so excited for it. Um, it is a fictional story, so we don't actually read it in the Bible, but uh, the author, whose name uh, is Catherine Kennecott Davis, uh, wrote this and kind of wrote it in the idea of, of it could have happened in the Bible. She places it in that context where it's not really there, but it could have been. If you're not familiar with the story of the little drummer boy, there's a song about it. There's a movie about it. We sang the song here a little bit ago. Uh, if you're not familiar, the story goes that there are the wise men. These are the rich uh, rulers. Uh, they're coming to go meet the newborn Jesus. And along the way to go meet Jesus, they see this little boy. And he's poor. He's dirty. He's disheveled. And these wise men say, hey, we're going to go meet this newborn king. Why don't you come with me? Now listen, in our day and age, that would be illegal. But this is way back long ago, so it's okay. They invite the little boy, hey, come with us. And they go on the way to meet Jesus. And of course, we know the wise men, they had those, those really expensive gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They're going to give these, these wonderful gifts to the newborn baby, Jesus. And the little, little drummer boy is like, well, I don't have anything to give to the king. I have no gift. And looks and says, well, I got my drum. 
And so he says to Mary, shall I play for him? And his gift to the king of kings is to play his very best as he plays that drum. Pa-rum-pa-bum-pum. I'm not even going to sing it for you because I, I like you guys too much for that. But that is the idea of the story. Now, one of the things I was thinking about is, is why would we do a series called The Little Drummer Boy at Church, right? Why would we do this? Two reasons. Number one, I want us to learn how to find gospel connections in our culture, right? There's, there's a story in the book of Acts where the apostle Paul has gone to a place called Mars Hill, and he is, he is talking to the, the secular people around him. He's talking to the culture. And what he does is he looks for some inroads to say, hey, this is what is happening in the culture, and let me find an inroad to bring in the gospel, to talk about faith. I want us as Christians, to be able to look at the culture around us and learn how to bring up the gospel, learn how to have faith conversations amidst the culture of what's happening around us, right? And so in this story, the little drummer boy, man, there's, there's a bunch of faith lessons. We're going to look in a couple weeks about how it's not the size of the gift that matters, but the heart behind it. You see that in the little drummer story. We're, we're going to look and we're going to see how there's this invitation to come. And the invitation to come literally changes this little boy's life. And we have the same invitation, do we not? To come to Jesus. You see, you can take this secular song and have all these inroads into faith. And so I want to teach us how to look at our culture and find these inroads to faith. Second reason I, I wanted to do this uh, series is about six, seven, eight weeks ago, we asked you guys to come up with a list of people, a list of names, people that you're praying for, people that you want to see come to Jesus. And there was a hundred names that we put down of friends and family members that don't know Jesus. And we said, hey, we're going to pray for these people. We're going to pray for them. And listen, my hope is that as, as we take this month of December and as we look at this song that so many people are familiar with, I mean, let's just be honest, when we were singing that song, how many of you were Tapping your toe. Pa, rum, pa, pum, pa. We were all doing that. We're so familiar with it. So my hope for you is that as you look at this December and look at this Christmas series, that you'll look at those people around you that you are praying for. And you'll be bold enough to say, hey, I'd love for you to come to church with me. I'd love for you to come. We're talking about a story that everybody knows. It's a familiar story. And that's my prayer. That's my question. That's my, that's my challenge to you. Is this December, who are you inviting to church? Who are you bringing with you? Because I'll tell you what, every week we're going to share the gospel. Every week is going to be an opportunity for us to point to what Jesus has done for us in, uh, in, in our place. So the question is, who are you going to bring so that they can hear the gospel and potentially have their lives transformed? All right. Today, as we look at the, the story, I want to pay attention to the actual characters of the story. Because the characters of the story, they teach us that God often works through the people that we would least expect, right? God often works through the people that we wouldn't expect. Let me, let me ask you this. What did you want to be when you grew up? You remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? I mean, we all have these things when we're, when we're children. We want to be someone rich. We want to be someone famous. We want to be important. We want to be a hero, right? We have all these things we want to be. Like, like some of you, when you're young, you're like, I'm going to be a fireman or a policeman. Why? Because those are the heroes, right? Oh, I want to be, I want to be brave. I want to be a fireman. Maybe, maybe for you, you're like, I want to be an athlete or a musician. 
I'm, you know, I'm going to be famous and wealthy. Maybe, maybe in today's culture now, it's like I want to take pictures of myself and put it on social media and become a social media influencer. Or so, like, I don't know how that works, but that's one of those things that kids do uh, this day and age. Like for me when I was growing up, like I don't think they have this. I don't know what they have in, in today's day. But when I was growing up, I had that Michael Jordan poster. And maybe if you're a little older, you remember it. There was a Michael Jordan poster that actually was life-size. So it had Michael Jordan at six foot six, okay? And when I was growing up, I would, be, I, I would measure my height against that poster because I was going to be six foot six, and I was going to play in the NBA. Now, I, I, you know, I'm doing this pastor thing right now because I'm still waiting for the NBA to call. It's not been shut down yet. The problem is I never got to be six foot six. I stopped at five foot seven. And so my hopes of playing in the NBA are on hold right now. If they call, I'm in. But when we're kids, we all wanted to be something important and big and famous and wonderful. Nobody dreamed. Nobody dreamed as a child that their life would be ordinary and mundane. Like many of the lives that we live, right? No one dreamed that they would work a job Maybe that they don't love. Maybe just a job that they tolerate. So that way they can make the monthly mortgage payment. So that way they're not homeless. None of us ever dreamed of reaching middle age and all of a sudden having that that rubber tire that sits around our waist. None of us dreamed of coming to a certain age in our life where male pattern baldness becomes a thing. Nobody dreams of, of hitting menopause. Like nobody dreams about that. That's not what you're looking forward to in life. No one dreams of the highlight of your retirement is going every week, once a week, to Sherry's for dinner at 3.30 in the afternoon? <laughs> no offense. No one dreams about retirement being where all you do is you sit and complain about how high gas prices are and how bread used to be a quarter all those years ago. Like, we don't dream of that. We dream of great and grander, but then we look at our lives and we're like, it's a little bit more mundane than we anticipated, Right? Many of us are not living the life that we dreamed. Many of us have been through some difficult things. No one dreamed that we'd ever become a Karen. A Karen is a person who's always complaining about everyone and everything. No one dreamt of being a Karen. No one dreamt of the struggles that they were going to face in life. Struggles with uh, addiction. Struggles with divorce. Struggles with uh, financial problems. Struggles with kids going off the deep end. Nobody dreams of those things, yet how many of that is a reality to our lives? You know, in the story of the little drummer boy, <laughs> I don't think anybody dreams to be the drummer boy, except Adam. A- Adam does. Adam, Adam did dream to be the little drummer boy. None of us dreamt of being the little, no, we wanted to be the magi. We want to be the wise men, the rich guys that are traveling, they're important. That's who we dreamt to be like. But you know what I love about the story? Is who's the story about? It's not about the rich guys. It's not about the important people. It's about the little drummer boy. The one that nobody thought we'd actually be singing a song about. Some poor, disheveled little boy. You know, when you look at the Christmas story, the real Christmas story, isn't it kind of the same thing? The the stars of the Christmas story 
are the people that we wouldn't expect them to be. Like, like let, 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 let's just pretend. Let's pretend you knew nothing about the Bible. Okay, let's pretend you've never read it. And God came to you and said, listen, I'm going to come down to the earth and become a human. Like, who do you think God would choose to be a part of his story? Well, of course, he would choose like, like a king or a queen or, or at least a prince or princess. You know, like Kate and William, right? Like, we would picture him to use maybe some important people, some smart people, like, like maybe uh, Elon Musk or Einstein, like some really important, significant people. Maybe, maybe we would expect God, if he's going to bring, if he's going to come, would expect like, a, like a, 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 a religious scholar, a saint? Like, those are the people that we would anticipate God using to bring himself into the world. But the start of the Christmas story are not kings and queens. They're not religious saints or scholars. And as much as we try to romanticize the characters to make cute little nativity scenes, reality is Mary, Joseph, the shepherds. These are people we wouldn't expect to be in the Christmas story. So what I want to do this morning is if we're, if we're wrestling with that question of, of who, are the, who are the types of people that God uses? I want to look at the Christmas story to help us understand the type of people that God uses to change the world. And we see it right here in the Christmas story. First type of people that God uses to change the world are those whose life has not gone, gone as planned. You see this in the life of Mary. In fact, we're introduced to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. This is what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel uh, sent... Uh, uh, to the angel of Gal... <laughs> ah, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and her name was Mary. Okay, here's the context. Mary was a teenage girl. Okay, imagine that story. Imagine being in Mary's shoes, right? She's a teenage girl. She's in middle school, and she has a crush. She has that middle school crush on Joseph, right? So what, probably what she did is she probably got her yearbook. She probably draw, drew a heart around Joseph's picture because that's what middle school girls do, right? And she gets together with her little friends, and they're like, oh, he's so cute. Oh, I'm just afraid to talk to him. Huh? I don't know how to do this. Well, one day, one day, Joseph puts a little note in her locker that says, hey, I like you. Want to go out? And Mary's like, ah, I don't know what to do. Well, they go out a couple times. They go, uh, they go bowling. They go, they go to the roller rink down at Skateland. They go play putt-putt golf. And pretty soon, it feels like things are starting to get a little bit more serious. They get to high school. She's a freshman. And he's like, hey, let's go to homecoming together. And we're like, wow, this relationship is getting real. Joey, and that, that's what she called him. This is her Joey. Joey, you know, he never was really good at school, though. So he decides to drop out. But they've got plans together, right? She's going to stay and finish school. He's going to go and start his career as a carpenter. And after she's done with school, they're going to get married. And he's going to go and build custom houses and build furniture. And she's going to stay home and raise all the babies. Like they, Can you imagine what it would be like for her and Joseph to be engaged and have all the plans for the future? Everything planned out. This is what our life's going to be like. Until... Luke 1, verse 30, says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And if I marry, I'm like, wait, 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 what a second? What'd you just say? Like, I'm going to have a baby? That's, God, that's not possible. That's, that, that's not possible. I'm not married. I'm a virgin. I can't have a baby. It's not possible. Could you imagine Mary thinking, do you know how scandalous it is for me to be an unwed teen mom? Like, God, you cannot do this to me. You can't change. I've got all my plans for the future. I haven't even graduated yet. What about me and Joseph? We're supposed to have this life. Can you imagine being in Mary's shoes and all the plans she had for her life? And now things are turned upside down. Her plans did not go as planned. How many of us in this room, how many of us, that has been our story? That we had these plans for our lives. Man, this is what our life is going to look like. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to do wonderful things. I'm going to achieve some great stuff. And then as you live your life, things don't go as we planned. Circumstances change. We face some challenges. How many of us are in that situation, just like Mary, we're feeling like, man, my life didn't go as I planned. And when then we go through that experience and we're like, you know what? Maybe I missed out on God's best. I wanted to be here. I wanted to accomplish this. And instead, this is where I am. Second type of person that God uses in the Christmas story are those without the right background. Think about Think about it from Joseph's perspective. Here's what we know about Joseph. In Luke chapter 1, it said that the angel came to uh, the town of Nazareth, which means Joseph was from Nazareth. Now, if you're not familiar, Nazareth was a podunk little outskirt town. There was a reason that families lived in Nazareth. It's because they were poor. It was a backward system. The school system was broken at best. And so, so nobody expected much out of the kids that came out of Nazareth, right? Nobody expected much. They weren't upper class. They weren't middle class. They weren't lower class. They weren't even a class of themselves. They were just, they were just broken. If you could picture, like, like, this would have been like being from, like, Wiley City or Wapato or Sela. Like, this would have been like, you're from one of those places. Nobody expects much out of you. No offense. In fact, in fact, uh, when one of the disciples of Jesus, his name was Nathaniel, when he heard about Jesus of Nazareth, his comment was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's not possible. So here's Joseph from a podunk little town, from a poor family, without a great education. And scripture says, scripture says that he was a carpenter. He was a blue-collar worker. Can you picture him just being a little rough around the edges. He didn't have the right upbringing. And then beyond that, then you look a little deeper into Joseph's story. You look at Joseph's genealogy. He's got a ton of brokenness in his family background. See, when you look in Scripture, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1 gives the genealogy of Joseph. And there's a ton of brokenness. There are three women listed in Matthew chapter 1 that were involved in sex scandals. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 1 verse 3 talks about Tamar. She, here's her sex scandal, she seduced her father-in-law in order to produce an heir. 
scandalous. We read about uh, uh, Rahab being in, in Joseph's family history. Rahab was a prostitute who helped Israel spy scouting out the promised land. We read about the, the wife of Uriah. This is Bathsheba who had an affair with King David that led to, King da led to her husband's uh, murder. Like, you've got some scandals in his background. Beyond that, there's some other shady characters in his genealogy. We read about uh, Jacob. Jacob was a swindler. There's no other way to put it. He was the guy, you know, that sends you the email that says, hey, I'm a prince from Europe or, or from, from Africa, and if you send me $10,000, $10, I will reward you with millions of dollars. That was, that was kind of like Jacob. He deceived his father, and he stole his, his brother's blessing. David, King David was an adulterer and a murderer. Solomon, Solomon was the original player, okay? He was, he was the original player. He had 300 wives, 700 concubines. Like, that's crazy. That is just a ton of just, just brokenness. Beyond that, you read about, uh, 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 um, <laughs> I got to look at my notes here. You read about Abijah and Jehoram and Manasseh. All three of these kings are described in Scripture as being evil and wicked kings. And this is Joseph's background. This is a family that he was raised in. And again, there's some of us in here. There's some of us that are saying, you know what? God can't do much with me because of my background, right? I don't have the right background. I don't have the right education. I come from a pretty broken family. I've got some junk in my life. I've made some mistakes. I've got some baggage that comes with me. But isn't that the story of Joseph? He didn't have the right background, yet God chose to work through him. Third type of people that we see God uses in the Christmas story, he uses the outsiders. You see this in the shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were filled with great fear. See, these shepherds, these shepherds, typically they were the reason why a shepherd was out working in the field. You became a shepherd typically because maybe you had some issues in the past, right? Maybe you had some baggage. Maybe you had, had something on your record. And you couldn't get a regular job. Maybe, maybe you were just a little awkward and people didn't really like you. And so you couldn't really fit into normal society. You'd become a shepherd. Usually shepherds, they didn't have a formal education. Quite possibly, these guys were illiterate. If you were a shepherd, you were kind of considered on par with, with like a, a, a gypsy or, or a vagrant. You weren't accepted in normal society. In fact, you wouldn't be able to go into court and give testimony because you were thought of to have such low character as a shepherd. Beyond that, when you work with a sheep, guess what you smell like? You smell like sheep. And if you're like, what do sheep smell like? They smell like middle school boys after gym class. And I'm telling you, Axe body spray can't cover that up, okay? Like, like these guys were... were outcasts. They were the lowest of class. Nobody wanted to be around them. Yet here we read in the Christmas story, these outsiders. Who do the angels come 
to be the first people to go and meet the newborn Jesus. The outsiders, the shepherds. You get to go and meet Jesus and be the first people to tell the world about how joy has come into the world. See, I love the Christmas story. I think the angels are amazing. I think the wise men are remarkable. (laughs) But the stars of the story, the stars of the Christmas story are Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. The people that we would least expect to be the stars of the story. These are the people that God chose to bring the Savior into the world, to be the first people to proclaim the good news of peace on earth through those that we would least expect. And I think the question I I come into, if, if these are the stars, what made Mary and Joseph and the shepherds become the stars of this story? Why are they the stars? I'll tell you what, it's not because they were smarter than everybody else. It's not because they were stronger, or they had more knowledge, or they had better training or more experience. It's not because they were more worthy than anybody else. It's nothing that we would expect. No, what made them the stars of the story is they had a humble faith in God and not in themselves. They could trust in God because there was nothing inside of them that they were turning to to say, this is why I'm awesome. See, most of us, most of us, we are the stars of our story, right? When you think about your life, when you think about your story, we all are like, man, I'm amazing. Look how great I am, right? We think everybody else is wrong. I see things right. We're all, by a human nature, we have this narcissistic uh, view of life, where life revolves around me. But Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, humbly recognized, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about what I can do. Their story wasn't about them and what they could offer. No, the star of their story, it wasn't themselves, it was God. God was the star of their story. It was his grace working through them that made them people that God could use to bring about the Savior of the world. And here's a beautiful thing. Here's The beautiful thing, God often chooses to work not through those that we would expect, but through those that we would be, would be unexpected. God chooses oftentimes to do his greatest work through those whose life has not gone as planned, through those who don't have the right background, for those of us who are a little bit of an outcast in society. In fact, the the summary of this message today It's simply that God does his greatest work through those whose humble faith is in God alone. Their faith is not in themselves and how good they are and all the wonderful things that they have to offer to God. No, their faith is simply in God alone. And I'll tell you what, just as God was getting ready to change the world when he brought Jesus, when Jesus was born, God is still in the business of changing the world. And he continues to work through people just like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and people like you and me. So here's a couple points of application. Number one, what excuses keep you from fully surrendering to serve God? You thought about that? 
What is holding you back from just giving everything to say, God, could you use me? Could you change the world through me? Because I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but I can speak for myself. I think Satan works pretty hard at making us feel unqualified to serve God, to be used by God. I think Satan works overtime to make us feel incapable. I think, he, I think Satan tries to make us think, hey, you know what? God only works through saints. God works through people who are perfect, right? God works through the people who are all put together, who, who talk in the right way, who, 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 who dress the right, right way. The, God works through the people who have Bible degrees. God works through the people who have done all the right things, who don't have any baggage. God works through the people who don't have any hangups or issues in their life. Those are the people that God uses. Now, Satan wants us to believe that lie 100%. Because I tell you what, the Bible is full of people. But all sorts of reasons why God couldn't and should not use them. The Bible is full of that. You think about Moses. Moses was going to be the spokesman for God to bring about the law. That's what Moses was asked to do by God. And what's Moses' excuse? God, you can't use me. I stutter. I can't do this, God. Gideon. God's going to use Gideon as a judge. Gideon's like, God, you can't use me. My family's from the ghetto. Like, we got the ghetto family. Well, you can't use me, God. Uh, uh, the prophet Jeremiah and Timothy. God, you can't use us. We're too young. We're, we're, you can't, we're, we're too young. You can't use us. We don't have any experience. We don't have anything to our name. The apostle Paul. God, you can't use me. Do you know how much damage I've done? Do you know how much baggage I have of what I've done to Christians? God, there's no way you could use me. I mean, even think about the disciples. The disciples that followed Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, and actually the rulers actually say, they say, what is up with these guys? These guys are uneducated and untrained. Why should we worry about them? You see, God uses a lot of people that we would not expect to change the world because he is a God of redemption, right? He is a God of redemption. That is the very reason why Jesus came. He says in Mark chapter 2, I came not for the healthy, not for the righteous. I came for the sick. I came for the sinners, the very people that God is, is, is seeking out, the very people that God is using are not those who are healthy and righteous, but those who are sick and those who are sinners. And this is what God does. He takes us. He takes our brokenness. He takes our limitations. He takes our junk. He takes our excuses and redeems it. Redeems it for our good and for his glory. You see, when God's looking for the type of people that he can use to change the world, God doesn't call the qualified. No, rather, he qualifies the called. He says, I'm not looking for people that have everything figured out. No, I'm looking for those who will follow me. And I'll give you what you need to accomplish what I'm going to ask you to do. In fact, one of the, one of the family values we have here at Restoration Church, family values are kind of the... the Values that we are trying to embody in the midst of our church. One of those family values says that we celebrate progress and not perfection. We are a church where it is okay for you to not be okay. But the key is you don't get to stay that way. 
we are, we are all welcome to come in and be like, hey, I got some baggage. I got some issues. Now, I tell you what, if anybody says they don't have any, they're lying. They're lying. We all got some baggage. The only prerequisite for us becoming a child of God, the only prerequisite, the only way you come to Jesus is by acknowledging you're broken, acknowledging you have a need, acknowledging you aren't good enough on your own. That is the only prerequisite for us coming to faith in Jesus. And so, Restoration Church, we are a place. We're not looking for a bunch of people that look the part of being a good Christian. We're not looking for sinless saints. We're not looking for people to put on their Sunday best and look the part of being a good Christian. No, we're looking for people that say, I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm in a process. I still drop the ball. I still got some issues, but God is working in me to redeem me. That is who we are here at Restoration Church. We are people very much like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. Some of us with baggage. Some of us with the wrong family background. Some of us that our plans have not gone as planned. Some of us that are outsiders. And I tell you what, the power of the God is the strongest at that moment. When we can be real with where we are, real with our baggage, real with what we're struggling with, and allow God to begin to redeem those broken parts of us. Number one, what excuse is keeping you from serving God? And number two this morning, who or what what and who are you putting your faith and your trust in? Let me ask you this way. Who is the star of your story? Again, our human nature, we're all narcissistic. It's our sinful nature. We have this attitude that life is all about me. I mean, how many of us, how many of us view the world and just think, you know what? I see the world right. If people would just do things my way, the world would be so much better. Ha! <laughs> Most of us in this room will be like, hey, if everybody just did what I said, man, life would be good. Life would be really good. Now, some of us are too humble to actually admit it, but most of us view life in that way. And when, we, when there's problems, when there's conflict, again, because life is all about me, when there's conflict, we, we say, well, I'm just, I'm just misunderstood, or, or I'm mistreated, or, or I deserve more than I'm getting. We make ourselves the star of our story. It all revolves around me. I'm the sun. You're the planets. You all revolve around me. So oftentimes, because we have this narcissistic attitude, we put our trust and our faith in ourselves. We put our faith and our trust and say, God, here's my resume. Here's all the things I've done for you, God. Look how great I am. Of course, God, of course you love me. Of course, you're going to use me. Because look at all I've done for you, God. Look at all I've done for you. Like, like, I'm smart. Or at least I'm smarter than that person over there. God, I'm a good person. Well, at least I'm, I'm better than that person over there. God, God look at this. I, I've read the Bible. God, God, look at this. Like, I've been to church for all these years. Here's my resume, God. Here's all the things I've done for you, God. Of course you're going to use me. Of course you're going to love me. Of course you're going to bless me. But who's the star of our story? Ourselves. 
We put our faith and our trust and all that we've done, all that we've accomplished, our family background, whatever it happens to be. But the Christmas story teaches us the star of our story is not you. The star of the story is not you. In fact, this isn't just a Christmas story. This is the gospel. This is, this is what Christianity is all about. You and I, we are not the stars of our story. We are broken, sinful, selfish people. We're in need of a star, but it's not ourselves. We're in need of one greater than us. In fact, that's why Jesus was born. He was born to be the star of our story. He lived the life that, if we're being honest, he lived the life that we wished we could live, but we couldn't. He was perfect. He was blameless. He was sinless. He went to the cross, and he suffered in our place. He paid the penalty for our selfishness, for our stubbornness, for our narcissism. He paid the penalty for how we have hurt other people. He paid the penalty for how we have hurt ourselves. He took our sin. He took our brokenness upon himself. And he gave us his righteousness so that we could be made right with him. And then he died and rose from the grave, giving us victory over Satan and sin and the curse of death and hell. No, you see, when we tell our story, we are not the star of the story. God is the star of the story. That's why our faith, it can't be in ourselves. Our faith can't be, and look all that I've done, look all that I am. No, our faith has to be in him. Our faith can't be in our church. It can't be in our politics. It can't be in our wisdom. It can't be in our education. It can't be in our experiences. It can't be in our accomplishments. No, our faith has got to be in God and God alone. And that is why God works for people like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds because their faith wasn't in themselves and all that they could accomplish. Their faith was simply in God. God, I'm going to trust you. God, I don't get it. You're changing my plans. I don't have the, fight, the right background. I'm an outsider. I don't get it, but God, I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to say yes when you say you shall conceive and bear a son. I'm willing to say yes when you say I want you to raise this son as your own. I'm willing to say yes when you say leave the sheep and go in and meet the newborn Jesus. And the people that have the faith to trust God, they are the ones that God uses to change the world. In fact, I wanted to close with this verse. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, talking to the Christians. He said, many of us, we're not wise from a human perspective. Many of us, we're not powerful. We're not of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He has chosen the insignificant and despised in the world. Those views, those viewed as nothing to accomplish his plans. And why did God do that? Why did God do that? So that no one would boast in his presence. That the one who boasts would boast in the Lord. 
See, God is still in the work of changing the world. And he's going to use people just like Mary and Joseph. People who recognize I'm not the star of the story. I'm not putting my faith and my trust in all these things I've got, all these things I've done. No, my faith is simply trusting in God. And I'll follow him and I'll surrender to him and I'll do what he'll ask me to do. The question for you this morning is where are you putting your faith? Who are you putting your faith in? Is it in yourself? On your accomplishments? On all the good that you've done? On how you deserve something from God? Or is your faith in Him and Him alone? Let's pray.